Thanks for listening to 10-4 Lord, and please remember the three S's. Subscribe, share, and support. Subscribe to the podcast. Share it on Facebook in an email and a text message link to a friend. And uh, and if this podcast is a blessing to you and something that you're really getting a lot out of, then uh, go ahead and support the channel if you'd like to by clicking on the support button. Thanks again. God bless. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, it's Paul with 10-4 Lord, and today I'm coming to you from my home in South Louisiana. And today we're going to go ahead and jump right back into how to understand the Bible in our next lesson. This lesson is on context. And uh, I, the way I like to explain it is that if you're, if you're watching, say you're, you're binge watching a, a show on a streaming service, well you wouldn't just jump into like season four in a show that has 10 seasons, right? And and have no idea what's going on. And so that's a lot of times the way people treat scripture is they just pluck a verse out of its context and use it in a way that does not agree with the context. The context obviously is the surrounding verses and chapters and the events that are happening um, that surround that particular scripture. So it's very important that we understand the context of what we're reading and uh, in order to get a, a, a true and accurate understanding of the scripture that we're reading, okay? So, uh, you, know, that, the, you know, the TV, streaming TV analogy is, is I think it's a good modern um, metaphor or whatever you want to say to, uh, to help people understand that. So... And I would say that the most common mistake in interpreting Scripture is just not understanding the context or ignoring the context. So a lack of the fear of the Lord, number one, and number two, not understanding the context is, in my opinion, the two greatest sources of doctrinal error. Okay? And there's... When, you, when you're understanding any story, whether it's a true story, whether it's a, a novel that you're reading, whatever you're reading, there's some basic elements to any story, okay? And those are the characters, the setting, the plot, the conflict, and the resolution. So the characters, obviously, that's the people who are involved. Who's involved? Who is it talking about? Um, when is it talking about? Um is this talking about the nation of Israel? Is it talking about one of the kings? Is it talking about one of the prophets? Is it talking about uh, um, a Gentile nation? Uh, who's involved here? Okay. And the next would be the setting. Where is this taking place? Is it taking place in Israel? Is it taking place in Babylon? Is it taking place in Egypt? Um, the plot. The plot is simply what's what's the narrative here? What's happening? What's going on in this in this situation uh, that we're reading about. The conflict, I mean, that's fairly self-explanatory. Is there a conflict that's being described here? What's the nature of that conflict? Um, and then the resolution is how is the conflict resolved, okay? And you can look at an example of this in the Gospels. Um, look in the Gospels, you'll see the characters are obviously Jesus, uh, his disciples, the crowds, 
sick people that need to be healed, religious leaders, the Romans, and others. And then the setting, you've got Galilee, Samaria, and Judea, uh, the, the three places in which the Gospels take place. And the plot, Jesus is born, he teaches, he heals, he, and he preaches. Um, the conflict is, uh, you've got you, a conflict between John the Baptist and the religious leaders, and then you have the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. And then the resolution of those conflicts is that John is beheaded as a martyr, and then Jesus is crucified, and later he is resurrected, and um, you know, he is with his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. So that's the resolution of the conflict. Okay, And um, so that's just to give you a little bit of idea of, of context. It just means you know, not, not grabbing a scripture and yank it out of, yanking it out of the scriptures that surround it. And you not only need to understand the immediate context of what it's, where it's written in that particular book of the Bible, um, you know, within the surrounding chapters, but in that whole book of the Bible, you also need to understand the remote context. And by that, I mean where that particular subject is dealt with other places in scripture. If you read the, the, the epistles, the letters of the apostle Paul, you will see that he cites scriptures from several places in the Bible, several, you know, he's, he cites a lot of different Old Testament scriptures about Abraham, about Moses, and in the, the patriarchs and the law and the covenant. He cites a lot of different places in scripture when talking about the same thing, because he's, he's, I guess you could say like a lawyer, he's building his case, right? So he's giving evidence from many different places in scripture. And that's an important thing to understand is to understand how different places in the Bible, different books of the Bible and different passages of scripture that talk about that same subject, what those things, what those scriptures have to say. Uh, so that's a very important uh, aspect of uh, the, the element of context when you're talking about understanding the Bible. So the next thing we want to talk about is all scripture. And we want to go to 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17. And uh, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, or thoroughly perfected unto all good works. And that's King James. And the word um, inspiration, it's the Greek word theopanustos. It means God breathed. Um, and if you look at the word perfect, it's the word artios. And it, uh, it was used to describe ships when they were, when they had everything, when they were completely equipped for their journey and had everything that they needed for that journey, they were considered artios, perfect, right? And that's the idea, is that Scripture equips the man of God. Scripture equips the, the child of God that, so that they might do the will of God, right? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So that's the idea, is that all Scripture, so that means Genesis 
and you know, and, and all of the 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 patriarch writings and you know things about Abraham, things about uh, Isaac and Jacob, and the law and the prophets, and obviously the, the you know the gospel books and the church epistles and all these things, all of these things are profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they're addressed to us as the church, because we know that the law of Moses was given to Israel. It was a covenant God, that God made with Israel, and the law of the the covenant of the law was fulfilled and ended by Jesus Christ on the cross when he gave up his life and said, it is finished. He paid our debt of sin on the cross, and we're no longer under the law of Moses. That doesn't mean we can't learn from the law of Moses, and we absolutely should learn. There's a lot of great things to learn from the law. We just have to understand that we're not under the law, we're under grace, and that doesn't mean that we have a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a license to serve. Um, it simply means that the means by which we live out well, obviously, it means the first, first of all, it means the re, the means by which we're justified is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's first and foremost. And then secondly, the way that we live out the righteousness of God is not by trying to follow the law, but by the Spirit of God that dwells within us. And if you read Galatians, you'll see that that's the case. Um, so, but, you know, there's still so much that can be observed and learned. And there's a lot of pictures. When you read through the Law and the Prophets, there's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of things that are representations of spiritual things um, that might not be apparent or might not have been apparent to the people at that time. But now looking back, we can see that, for instance, Abraham's ram, you know, with his horns caught in the thicket, you know, that's a, a, a a representation of Christ is the substitute so that Isaac didn't have, you know, instead of Isaac, the ram was sacrificed. Well, you know, instead of us, Jesus was sacrificed. So there's a lot of things in the Old Testament and should not be, the Old Testament should not be neglected. And the only thing is we have to understand that the law is not addressed to the church, but um, it is for our learning, right? Um, so, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. And you see that in the epistles of Paul. Like I said just a little while ago, you see the Paul, the apostle Paul citing Old Testament references to make his points about New Testament realities. Okay, so moving on um, and, and and just recapping that. All scripture is profitable for doctrine. All scripture is profitable for reproof. All scripture is profitable for correction, and all scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction. Um, and if you look in that verse, you see the word "for" used repeatedly: for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that's a figure of speech, and it's to slow the reader down to make you look and consider each one of those things. Okay, so. Moving on. And the reason I like to cover that about the all scripture is some people like to to only read the gospels or only read the church epistles uh, or almost only, right? They, they rarely ever go into anything in the Old Testament. And then there's people who 
they, they spend so much time in the Old Testament that they're not aware of, they have very little understanding of the New Covenant because they spend most of their time in the Law and the Prophets and um, incorrectly think that the Law applies to them when it doesn't. So, which, you know, th this that brings us to our next subject, which is written to us versus for our learning. Uh, when we study the Word of God, we have to understand to whom a particular patch, passage of Scripture is addressed. Uh, a lot like if I was to receive an email that was addressed to me, you might learn something from the email, but it wasn't addressed to you, right? So the implications are going to be different because it's not to you. But again, you can learn something from it. Uh, Romans 15 verse 3 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comforts of the scriptures might have hope. Okay, Whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comforts of, comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning. They weren't, weren't written to us, but they're there that we are to learn from. Okay, there's there's still valuable spiritual lessons to learn from those things. Um, so so it is with the Word of God. We can learn a lot from the Law of Moses, but the Law of Moses is not addressed to the church. It was addressed to Israel. It is for a prior dispensation or administration. Scripture is clear that we're not under the law, but we can can and should learn things from it. Okay. Moving on. Uh, example, First uh, Corinthians. 9 verses 6 through 14. Now, this is where the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, financially supporting the apostles, financially supporting people who are in full-time ministry, who that is what they use their life for, what their what their time is used for, is for the ministry of the gospel. Okay. It says in uh beginning in verse 6, it says, Or only I and Barnabas, have we not power to forbear working? Who goeth to warfare at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man? Or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses. See, so he's, he's giving an example in the law of Moses, not that we're under the law of Moses, but he's teaching a principle, and that principle is, is uh, applicable both in the time of the law of Moses and in the church age. It's a principle, okay? Don't mis don't get confused between laws and principles, okay? Uh, sowing re and reaping is a principle. Um, you know, you know. Uh, I'm trying to think of some good, so off the cuff, off the top of my head, some good examples of principles. But um, right, diligence that's a principle, right? you know, being a diligent worker or whatever. Um, but principles are universal. The laws are not, okay? So anyway, going back to this, for it is written in the law of Moses. So he's citing the law of Moses as an example of this principle. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, it is written that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that reapeth Excuse me, the he that threshes. Okay, let me back that up. <laughs> I'm trying to read it, and uh, I got ahead of myself. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes also, no doubt, it, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. 
So uh, it says, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if she, we shall reap your carnal things? Saying, you know, we're, we're sowing to you these spiritual treasures, right? We're, we're, we're interceding for you. We're praying for you. We're, we are preaching to you the word of God. We're nourishing and teaching and bringing you up in the word of God. Is it a big deal if we should reap, you know, find the financial support, right? If others, it says, if others be partaker of this power over you, are not we rather? So he's saying you pay your taxes to a to a carnal secular government. Shouldn't you, you know, th that that a carnal secular government that you get some benefit from, maybe not a whole lot. All right, um, how much more those who take who who look after your spiritual welfare, right? Um. So then he says, nevertheless, we have not used this power. In other words, he's saying we have a right to be financially supported, but we have foregone that and we've worked with our own hands, right? So that's what he's saying. Um, nevertheless, we have not used this power, but we suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about the holy things live the things of the temple? So with the reference there is, again, he's giving an example in the Law of Moses that the Levites, right, the Levites, their inheritance was that the offerings that would be brought, the food offerings that would be brought to the temple, that part of that was for the Levite. That was his living. That, you know, the, the things that were brought to the temple as offerings, part of that was to sustain the Levite. And the Levite, that, that was the priestly tribe that it was their responsibility to minister to the, the, the things of the temple and also to teach the people the word of God, right? So he's giving another Old Testament example of this principle, right? It's a principle. It's, it's we're not under law, we're under grace. But he's saying it's still a true spiritual thing. It's true, still a tr true spiritual principle that you should support the people who are ministering to you the things of the kingdom of God. So, uh, going on here, it says, uh, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Again, that's exactly what I was just talking about. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So, what he's saying is that those who preach the gospel, those who who are the the, the teachers and pastors and apostles, you know, the, the people who their life is devoted to ministering the word of God to you, that they that, that they shouldn't have to find another way to support themselves, that the, the church, the believers should support them financially. But again, he's saying we haven't even used that, the right that we have. And Paul talks in other places where he worked with his own hands. We know that Paul was a tent maker. OK, he had a trade. And um, today we would call that the the term we would call that is bivocational, right? He he had a, a secular occupation that he used to help support himself um, to make up for what was lacking that the that the, the church wasn't doing that they should have really should have been doing. So um, that's just a, a little ex explanation, but I wanted you to see that. So. You know, we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
and this is a letter to the church in Corinth, that the Apostle Paul used the law of Moses to teach a spiritual principle, which still applies today in the age of grace, the dispensation of the church. And he used the law to teach them that those in full-time ministry of the Word of God should be financially supported by believers. Now, uh, moving on here, well, let's uh, let's touch on figures of speech. Uh, we're not going to try to get all fully cover figures of speech today. We're just going to touch on it, and uh, we'll we'll get more in depth in figures of speech later. But figures of speech is a very important aspect of understanding the Word of God when you're reading it. Okay, um, figures of speech in the Bible are divinely inspired, special usages of language that serve a variety of purposes and they're a departure from normal grammar by the holy spirit so it's the holy spirit using language in a special way that departs from its normal gram grammatical usage and it gives it brings certain things it brings emphasis um it 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 makes some makes some things clear it makes actually makes some things less clear you know a parable a lot of people think a parable is to make something clear it's actually to hide something uh but figures of speech are to scripture as seasoning and spices and preparation are to food so if you ever watch these cooking shows of some of these famous chefs you know they hate bland food right and it's a matter of knowing how to use those seasonings and those spices and and those different methods of preparation presentation to really make that meal just amazing, right? So that's what God did with figures of speech and the Word of God. And when you start to understand these figures of speech and how they're used, how they are divinely inspired and used just with such precision and, and exactness, it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. You could spend years just studying figures of speech and it's it's pretty fascinating stuff so and the the resource that i like to use it's called figures of speech used in the bible and that's a book by ew bullinger b-u-l-l-i-n-g-e-r ew bullinger uh, again the book is called figures of speech used in the bible and you should be able to find that if you do an online search you can find a, a bookseller that has that um, and these figures they can be lost in highly interpretive thought-for-thought thought Bible versions. So uh, I recommend a more literal Bible version. Um, the thought-for-thought thought versions, quote-unquote, you know, thought-for-thought, thought, um, they don't try to, to translate in from the original languages into the modern common language. They don't try to do that uh, as far as trying to get the most accurate closest to a word-for-word -word translation, what they do is they look at the verse in the original languages and they pretty much say, okay, this is what this verse means. Um, I don't recommend those. Um, some of the, the biggest ones are the NLT or New Living Translation and the NIV. Uh, the message is another one, just straight up paraphrase. Don't recommend those because you're going to lose a lot uh, that the Holy Spirit intended for you to, to receive in that scripture and this is particularly true with figures of speech when you go and cha change the words a lot 
uh, you a lot of those figures are going to be lost. So I'd recommend a one of the more literal Bible versions. And when we get to the segment of the class um, on Bible versions, we'll get a little more into what are some of the better Bible versions to use. Obviously, you see that I use the King James, uh, the the sixteen eleven King James, the you know the older one, and uh, it's not the only one that's a literal translation. Uh, it's my personal favorite. I'm not a King James only guy. Um, I'm just, I guess you would say, I'm a King James preference guy. It's my my preference because uh, I, I think it's one of the better literal translations that are out there. So, and uh, we're just going to hit a few quick. Uh, figures of speech that are used in scripture just to give you an idea uh, some of the most of these are are going to be pretty common knowledge things that we use today some of the figures of speech that are in scripture are ones that are such at a high level that that are just so amazing that um, you don't even see them in common use today and uh, they're they're just amazing they're beautiful but some of the more common ones that you do see used in common language today are obviously the simile, S-I-M-I-L-E, simile, kind of looks like the word smile. And that's a comparison using like or as. He is like a lion, okay? Or he is as a lion. So it's a, a comparison using like or as. A metaphor is a direct comparison. And metaphor, M-E-T-A-P-H-O-R, metaphor, and that's a direct comparison. So instead of saying he's like a lion, it's saying he is a lion. Okay. So obviously he's not literally a lion if we're talking about a person here. Uh, but it's a very, it's a stronger metaphor. It's a stronger emphasis. Okay. So, and then uh, we have a parable. Jesus used a lot of parables. And a parable is an extended simile. So, and it's also a story with a hidden meaning. So Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, okay, that's a simile, but a parable is a simile that's kind of extended, it's stretched out. It's a simile that is in story form, okay, and it has a hidden meaning so that only the people, um, you know, the, the people who God wants the meaning to be hidden from won't get it, and the people who God wants to understand it will understand it. Uh, let's see, allegory. An allegory is a lengthy extended metaphor. So it's like a parable, but instead of the kingdom of heaven is like unto, it's a direct comparison. It doesn't use the words like or as. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 24, um, Paul talks about uh, the, the record of, of Abraham with Isaac and Ishmael. He's saying that Isaac and Ishmael, those the nations that came out of them, are an allegory. And so go back and look at Galatians 4.24. That is mind-blowing because God used entire people's lives and entire nations and periods of history as an allegory. God used entire periods of history and nations as a figure of speech. And that just blows my mind, you know. When I want to say something, I pick up my pen or my pen or my phone and text or whatever. God picks up a period of history and says, okay, I'm going to make a point here. All right. <laughs> he uses a whole nation, right, or a couple of nations. That's his pen and paper. 
right? And that just blows my mind that God, he's so powerful that he'll use an entire period of history just to say something. That just blows my mind. So anyway, so, and then another figure speech, uh, last one on the list here is Polysendeton, P-O-L-Y-S-E-N-D-E-T-O-N, Polysendeton. And that is a figure using many ands, A-N-D-S, you know, and this and that, right? So it's repetitive use of the word and, and what it does, the effect that it has is to draw attention to each individual thing, person, or person in a list. So it's saying, and this, and that, and this, and that, right? It's not just a straight list. So it separates these words with the word and because it makes you pause and consider each element that is that is listed there. It just kind of slows you down. It's similar to the verse we looked at earlier where we saw the word for being used. For, 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 because it stops you, it slows you down, and makes you consider each one of those things. So that's the, the figure polysyndeton. So, all right, so that's what we've got for today. And I uh, hope that this has been a blessing to you and love to hear some feedback. Uh, I'm not the greatest podcasting orator in the world. Obviously, I'm a truck driver uh, that uh, happens to uh, have been studying the Bible for a, a long time. And God has shown me some things that I, I like to share with people. But, um, you know, if you've got some, some, you know, I'll take criticism as if, if it's something constructive where you could say, you know, Hey, I think we could, the show could be a little bit better if you did this or that. I listen to those things. And, um, you know, if I think that that's, if that's good advice, I'll take it. And it, cause I always want to make the show better and better. But in any case, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to get into more of this on the subject of how to understand the Bible. And I hope that it's a blessing to you and that you get some, some good stuff out of it. That's going to really benefit you in your study of the word of God. So. Again, grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Bye. Here's the million dollar question. Will you go to heaven when you die? Here's a quick test. Have you ever lied, stolen, or used God's name in vain? Jesus said, whosoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you have done these things, God sees you as a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart, and the Bible warns that one day God will punish you in a terrible place called hell. But God is not willing that any should perish. Sinners broke God's law, and Jesus paid their fine. This means that God can legally dismiss your case. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death. Today, repent and trust Jesus, and God will give you eternal life as a free gift. Then read the Bible daily and obey it, and God will never fail you.